Well, if you're warm in here today, you can thank Mickey Hemphill. Wherever Mickey, he may be checking on it now. He's in the back, okay. And David Owens, we uh, got the boiler up and going this morning. Mickey doesn't know it, but we've got him a pallet laid out downstairs. He has to live here till he gets it just right. So. But uh, anyway, it's good to see all of you as we come to this place of warmth uh, this week for this time of worship. Um, a lot going on day in, day out in the life of your church. Um, please remember that our children have choir and special programs tonight. They're planning for another episode of singing, I think, at the early services next time in early February. So, children, we invite you to be sure to be at the choir practice this afternoon and to the, for the program that is uh, following that, the Christian Education Program. Handbells will be returning to their dingling ways, not this Wednesday, but the next, uh, the 20th of January. So you ringers take note and plan to be present. Um, other announcements are in your bulletin as you have an opportunity to, to read them and catch up. But uh, let us now begin together our time in worship. <laughs>
faith is the Apostles' Creed found on page 881. Let us affirm our faith in God using this historic confession. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From this he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. time I'd like to invite the children to come forward to join Jim Scudder for a few moments of sharing. in a good mood today for a couple of reasons. Cowboys won last night and I want to say happy anniversary to Carol, my wife. Twelve good years. Thank you. I had a good one today talking about New Year's resolutions. Does anybody know what that is? What is that? The rest of your year. That's good because some of us have goals like losing weight, uh, how we're going to treat others. Um, I guess you could have anything. What we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, maybe change our drinking habits from Dr. Pepper's to water, exercising more, stuff like that. Not eating as much ice cream at nighttime and stuff like that. But my New Year's resolutions, I had two of them. One was to not to stress so much and slow down because I felt like my life was passing by me too quick. Forty didn't bother me, but I'll be 50 in May, and it just seems old for me, and it seems like my life's passing by. So I just wanted to slow down a little bit and take it easy. So, But I guess the most important thing with a New Year's resolution is we should all strengthen our faith a little bit more, read our Bibles more, and be better Christians. And treated others nice, like brothers treating brothers nice. Right? So, uh, it's hard. No, it's not that hard. Does anybody have a New Year's resolution? That you were going to start something off right this year? Andrew? Well, let's pray. Dear God, uh, we know that you, you are the one that helps us with these New Year's resolutions to, uh, to be nice to each other, strengthen our faith, and just be good Christians and do what you know that we need to do. 
In his name. Amen. Hold on, I got some candy. Jim thanked Carol for 12 good years. I wonder how many total years. <laughs> oh, just okay, all right, I'm just checking. If, if my eyes don't fail me, I think I see the right Reverend Woodrow Smith sitting out here. Is that you, Woody? I knew it was either you or someone just as handsome as you, so I had <laughs> Good to have you here with us today as, as we worship together. Our uh, Old Testament lesson is from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 7. But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you, and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is Psalm 29. That is on page 761. I invite you to stand as you are able as we share this passage together responsive. <clears throat> Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The, the Lord upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The Lord makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a wild young ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. 
The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of fish. The voice of the Lord makes the oaks to whirl and strips the forest bare. And in this temple all cry, the Lord. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as ruler forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. lesson from Acts chapter 8 verses 14 through 17. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, they had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we're grateful that we were able to come here this day because that means that we were in sufficient health and that we had a good night of rest, that we have received nourishment. We are so blessed just before we got here. And now to be here is certainly an expression of your great blessing to us. Thank you for this fellowship. Thank you for this group of people that we have joined together with and that we celebrate being part of the body of Christ in our world. For we find our way through life together. We find meaning in life together. We find what it is to know you as Lord and Savior. And we embark on missions together to the community and to the world. So we are truly thankful. And we're thankful for the symbol that you give us to remind us of this wonderful place of nurture. We're thankful for baptism that symbolizes cleansing and salvation and new beginning and belonging. And we pray, O oh Lord, that we might cherish the gift of that symbol to us while re realizing and remembering what a wonderful symbol it is. Lord, every token and expression of your love we cherish. We thank you for the Bible that tells us the story of your love for people over thousands and thousands of years and your work of redemption. Lord, thank you for the church. Thank you for Holy Communion that reminds us of your great love for us. Thank you for baptism. Thank you for prayer. Thank you for music. Thank you for Christian fellowship and all the things that call us into relationship with you. Most of all, Lord, we are grateful that you are a gracious and loving and forgiving Heavenly Father. For we, your children, have gone our own ways so many times, even as little children disobey their parents. But even as we have seen in earthly families, there is great forgiveness to be found in those homes. And so it is in our eternal home with you, there is great forgiveness available to us, and we are thankful for this. We pray for our friends who cannot be here this day because of uh, the cold, perhaps, or because of illness or injury. We, each of us, know of someone, Lord, who needs your love and care this day. So we think of them and present them to you for your touch of healing and comfort in these moments. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, who talks to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Let us now worship the Lord by giving.
gospel lesson is from Luke's gospel, chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, and then 21 through 22. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Here ends the lesson. I get to sit down and talk with pastors of various denominations and so one who is a Church of God pastor met with me recently at my office annex, otherwise known as Waffle House, <clears throat> and he was telling me a story of how revival broke out by accident at the church one Sunday night, and it wasn't due to a Mississippi squirrel this time. On that particular Sunday night, the pastor was baptizing a group of people, and one of the people being baptized was a rather hefty man. Well, like lots of churches that baptize uh, indoors in a pool, they have the pool right back here with the uh, stained glass window usually pushed back a little bit further. And uh, that was the case with that church. And um, since the man being baptized was uh, supersized, as they say at Burger King, um, his entrance into the pool raised the water level by several inches, bringing the water in contact with the power cord that went to illuminate the stained glass window behind the pool. <clears throat> As the water touched the cord, an electric shock ran through the pool and hit the preacher and the man, and they both jumped up out of the water and screamed. Well, of course, when they jumped in the air, the water level dropped and the, and the electricity went away. So they relaxed and they came back down to the water and again the water rose and hit the electric power causing another charge. And so this cycle of jumping and falling went on for a few minutes there, uh, causing a shock and then a relief. Uh, by then the congregation had seen the behavior of the two men in the pool and had decided that something magnificent was being done <laughs> that night by the Lord. And so a, a, a revival broke out, he said, in the congregation as people began shouting and singing and praying. Sins were confessed. People were reconciled. And that revival produced lasting results in many people's lives. But it was finally found out that it wasn't God's power, but Duke power <laughs> that had set off the revival. Well, baptism is one of those wonderful symbols in, in our Christian faith. And for us Protestants, it is one of two sacraments that we observe. Um, our Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox uh, cousins observe seven sacraments. 
but we Protestants observe only two, baptism and communion, because we see that they were the two sacraments that the Lord himself participated in. When it comes to baptism, you have your choice of methods depending on which church you join. And even in the United Methodist Church, if you have not been baptized before, you can choose whether you want to be uh, dumped, dipped, poured, or sprinkled, uh, if I can use that slang. I've, been, I've done a few dunkings or immersions, as they're more properly called. Um, in my previous congregation, a young fellow about nine years old had never been baptized. And uh, we went down to a neighboring Wesleyan church and borrowed their very cold baptismal pool and, and uh, immersed him. Uh, this is a Sunday in Epiphany that we annually observe as Baptism of the Lord Sunday. And it gives us an annual reason to study together about baptism and its significance as a sacrament that we observe in our church. We need to start by recognizing that many ancient cultures observed some water ritual for cleansing. It, wasn't, it isn't just the Judeo-Christian heritage that has this as a part of their tradition. Many ancient societies uh, used water in a cleansing ritual. Um, but it was Judaism that began to use baptism as a way of uh, welcoming converts to the faith into their fellowship. The proselytes were baptized while the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, uh, the, the law of Moses was being read. And therefore it was far more than just a cleansing act. It was also an initiation ritual welcoming that new convert into the community of faith. John the baptizer picked up on this rite for converts and extended it to everyone in the Hebrew community, urging them to really get serious about purifying their lives in preparation for the dawning of God's kingdom on earth and the coming of the Messiah. And he also promised that, that the Holy Spirit would soon be given to the people uh, which will be given by God through God's Messiah. In the Gospel of John, we're also told that the reason that John came baptizing was to point out to the people who their Messiah was. Therefore, Jesus was identified or marked by um, his baptism as the Messiah. And when he was baptized, it had to be a moment of epiphany for Jesus. If he had not been fully aware of it before now, the voice from heaven which said, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased, would have confirmed to Jesus that which he had come to recognize already, that he was to be God's chosen servant, the Messiah. Baptism still has all of these historical connections for us today. It still is a symbol of cleansing. It is an initiation into the community of faith, the right of belonging. It marks us, identifies us as Christian disciples. It urges us to live lives of purity following the example of Christ and to live lives as responsible citizens of God's kingdom. Baptism is also a reminder that the Holy Spirit is also given to us 
a gift that empowers us to live the Christian faith. In our baptism, God calls out from heaven to us, telling us that we are God's sons and daughters and that he loves us and that he is well pleased with us. In observing the sacrament of baptism, there's a, it seems to be a fine line that we must walk to avoid heresy on either side of us. And the same is true of communion. The sacraments call on us to walk on a narrow ridge between two valleys on either side of that ridge that are valleys of heresy. On one side is the valley of magic and ritual. And there are those that live down in that valley who believe that the act of baptism somehow in itself magically conveys salvation to us and that communion elements actually communicate, uh, they actually convey salvation to us by becoming literal flesh and blood of Jesus. People who live down in that valley believe that you can't be saved unless you participate in those rituals the right way because they actually confer salvation to us. These folks teach that you can't be saved without being baptized in a particular way because that's how God does it, period. I guess it is somewhat comforting, or it would be somewhat comforting to believe that if I do some, some ritual a specific way, then I am magically saved. But that's not how faith works. Faith isn't even necessary if it's magic like that. There's an interesting story from the book of Acts chapter 8 that we read today. You know, Andy Watson is very irritating. <clears throat> Andy will come by my office when I'm almost finished a sermon and he'll ask a question and make me tear it up and start over. It's just so irritating. We got going on that this week as we looked at the story in Acts 8. And I think... Um, to really understand that passage I read, we must look at that passage in context with some similar stories in the book of Acts because I think it's speaking to that very point about those that think there's something magical about a ceremony. In this story that we read, Peter and John were sent by the apostles to follow up the evangelistic work of Philip and to check on the condition of the converts who Philip had won. Peter and John find that these new converts were baptized in water, but not in the Trinitarian formula that we use, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but only in Jesus' name. They seem to be missing something that they need to grow. But Peter and John don't re-baptize them. Instead, they lay hands on them and pray that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Something obviously happened, and they did receive the Spirit in some way that was visible to others because there was a, a man there who was a magician named Simon who was so impressed by that that he offered Peter some money. Give me that power, Simon said, that I can lay my hands on people and they will receive the Holy Spirit. And his uh, request rece received a very sharp rebuke from Simon Peter because Peter was trying to teach him the Holy Spirit is not subject to human control. 
nor does the spirit respond automatically to a particular ritual or to a bride. A few chapters later, we read about the household of Cornelius and how the Holy Spirit came upon them while they were listening to a sermon. Peter was just preaching a sermon and no hands were laid on them. No one was being baptized. The Holy Spirit came. The Spirit comes to us when God decides that the Spirit will come. And that was Peter's defense when he was asked to explain when he went back home to Jerusalem. Peter, why did you go to a, a Gentile's home and then why in the world did you baptize that bunch of Gentiles? Peter's response was, hey, when I was telling them about Jesus, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Who was I to argue with God? Of course I told them to be baptized. God had already given his spirit to them. Then in Acts 19, we find the story of how Paul found some disciples in Ephesus who had been baptized the way John said you had to be baptized. That was, they had received the baptism of repentance, presumably by immersion. And yet Paul does make them be rebaptized. This time in Jesus' name. This time that they might receive the Holy Spirit. I think the point that the book of Acts is trying to make is that, remember Jesus said the Spirit is like the wind. We don't understand everything about the wind, where it comes from, where it goes. We have no control over the wind. And for us to think that we can make a formula for God, one, two, three, four, God, this is the way you've got to act, is a bit heretical. God does things the way God wants to in God's own way. Like Jesus said, the Spirit is unpredictable. Well, that's one thing I think we get from the story, that, that the rituals are not magical. The other side of this ridge that I was talking about walking on, uh, this has another valley of heresy over there. And those that live there don't take the rituals seriously enough. They say there is nothing substan substantive about those rituals. <coughs> They're just symbols and nothing more. We baptize because it's a nice thing we do to babies, but nothing really happens when we do. Bread and wine just make me think about Jesus. They make me think about Jesus' death on the cross. But that's all they do. Now that valley of heresy is so cold and absent of meaning that I don't think I can live down in that valley either. Up here on the ridge of faith that rises above these two valleys of heresy, we can see that God is somehow wonderfully involved in the sacraments, and that's what makes them so special. God is an active player in baptism and communion, so that when we come to these sacraments with anticipating faith, God imparts a gift of his love to us in those moments. Christ really is present among us when we receive communion. Just as he broke the bread and poured the wine and gave it to his disciples in the upper room, so Jesus is with us when we celebrate communion, giving us his body and blood when we commune. He's present with us in the bread and the wine. He's also present in our brothers and sisters who've come. And when we are baptized, God is present with us. 
in a special and unique way conveying to us the gift of salvation that he won for us through Christ's victory on the cross. There are numerous ways that God conveys his love for us, the Bible, prayer, and I hope occasionally through preaching. If not, then I'm just wasting your time. Thank goodness I didn't get any amens for that statement. <laughs> but it is a special, unique way that God acts in our lives in baptism. The ritual may not automatically and magically save us, but the saving work of God in Christ is uniquely conveyed and presented to us. And that salvation work of God in Christ does save us who believe in Christ. John Wesley called the sacraments means of grace. I think if he were around today, he'd call them highways of grace. They are ways that grace travels down a road to get to our lives. And certainly communion and baptism are highways of grace. So up here on the ridge of faith, we see the errors to avoid. Baptism isn't an empty, meaningless, cold ritual, but it isn't magic either. It doesn't magically give us anything. Communion isn't an empty symbol of remembrance, nor is it a magical presence of Christ in the elements. As we walk along that ridge, we see other heresies to avoid on either side of us. What about the heresy of works versus faith? We learn that good works don't save us, and that may make us think that it's enough just to believe. But faith that does not produce good works in our lives can't be really considered faith, can it? That can't save anybody. Faith in Christ, though, that produces change in us, causing us to produce good works in our daily lives, that is what saving faith is all about. In the United Methodist Church, as well as in the Anglican faith, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Eastern Orthodox, and Roman Catholic, we practice infant baptism because the church has always practiced infant baptism in various places in the world. It never was seriously questioned until about 1500 AD. In Luke 2, we read how Jesus was taken to the temple when he was eight days old, and he was welcomed into the community of faith through their initiation ritual circumcision. Since the early church came out of Judaism, but then gave up the ritual of circumcision when Gentiles began joining the church, there's some evidence that baptism was then given to little infants uh, to replace what had been the Jewish ritual of circumcision. And Paul's teaching may well have been the catalyst that brought about that change. But we believe that God is here with us when we worship him, that he is here when someone of any age is baptized, and that God says to that person being baptized, you are my child, and I love you. And God sends his spirit to that person to begin the work of helping to build and mold their Christian character. The water reminds us that we've been cleansed from all of our sin by the blood of the Lamb. 
and that we have been immersed into a pool of Christian believers who will be there with us to help us grow in faith. Let us remember and celebrate every baptism as a sacrament of belonging, whereby we are reminded that we belong to God and that we belong to the body of Christ, his church. Amen. Thank you.